Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Such a great story, and if I may say so, Camilla, so well read. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that your word is true to how we are, whether we're people of faith or people of doubt, people who are strong, people who are weak, people who are failing, people who are succeeding. Lord, thank you that we see ourselves in your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will take these truths and speak both to our minds and our hearts so that our love for you will grow, our faith in you will grow, and we will take great joy in being your people. For we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, one of the things that this story shows very clearly is that God is sovereign, and if God has a plan, he will have his way. And... uh, John Stott, very succinctly, and a la John Stott, for those of you who knew him or have read his books, sums it up very well indeed when he says, the chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. And what a stimulus to faith that is. Now, the Herod who's mentioned at the beginning of the chapter is Herod Agrippa I. And he was the grandson of Herod the Great of Jesus' time, the Herod who killed all the little baby boys. And Herod Agrippa was brought up in Rome and he became friendly with two different Roman emperors as he grew up. One was the emperor Gaius and the other was Claudius. And Gaius uh, thought well of Herod Agrippa and increased his realm, those over whom he had jurisdiction, and gave him the title king. And when uh, Gaius was assassinated, the next emperor who had assassinated him or arranged for him to be assassinated, Claudius, AD 41, thought, yes, this Herod Agrippa's a good chap. I'm also going to increase his realm. And he gave him Judea, so that Herod Agrippa was particularly over the Jews of that area. And Herod Agrippa wanted to please the Jews. He wanted to stay in with the Jews. He tried to understand what they did and why they did it and respect their ways. He also wanted to keep peace. And there were plenty of occasions for insurrections amongst the Jews and little groups of people doing this and doing that. And he was going to quell anything like that. And that included this new strange sect of people who said they were following this man, Jesus, who had been crucified. And these people were beginning to become troublemakers, as they had been when Jesus was alive, as Jesus had been. And so he began to persecute the church. Enough of that. He wanted peace in his realm. And then he thought, well, I'll get hold of one of the leaders. And that was James, the brother of John, sons of Zebedee. And he had him killed with the sword. 
And then he saw that that actually really did please the Jews. He, he was on the right track here. And so he thought, right, let's find another leader. And that was Peter. And he had Peter arrested. And uh, he was first of all seized, then arrested, and then put into prison. But because it was a feast time, a feast that was going to last about seven days, he thought, well, I respect the Jews and their ways. They would not approve of any sort of trial during a feast time. We will wait until the feast is over, which meant that Peter was probably in prison for about seven days. Now, if you know anything about prison, if you have been an inmate which may not apply to anyone here today, but uh, if you want to join a queue with confession at the end of the service, please do. Uh, I know there are people from this church who have uh, had jobs in prisons, um, and I'm sure there's others of you who have visited, as I have. And I have not enjoyed the experience at all. Uh, It's somehow inhumane. There's an awful lot of hanging about, while you wait till the time comes for you to visit your person. You are given a number, and your number is called. Where I was visiting, uh, you had four fingerprinting episodes before you got in. You also had a security band put on. You were also searched, and on one of the occasions, uh, sniffed with a dog, and then to get out, you had more fingerprinting done a couple of times. You, in fact, were treated like a prisoner. And that's in these days, which, was, which is sort of humane. For Peter, it would have been pretty awful. Added to which, the custom was that the prisoner was guarded by four soldiers in relays of four. And when the relay came on, the prisoner was chained with both arms to a soldier on either side, and the other two in the squad of four were at the door guarding it. So it was very secure. And you would have expected that now the trial was going to be the very next morning that Peter would have been up all night praying. What was he doing? He was asleep. Rather like Paul later on, who was in prison. What did Paul do in prison? He sang. And I, it made me think, when we go through our prisons, and we all have various things that imprison us, and life is hard, isn't it extraordinary that by God's grace there are times when actually we can sing? And sleep. And so there was Peter in his prison. And a very nice little quote I found, if I can find it, because I don't know where I've got to now in my notes. Um, And anyway, the gist of it was that you have the world and the church in direct opposition. There is Herod Agrippa, With his power and his authority, there is the prison, absolutely secure. The world and its might 
and you have the group of Christian believers who have no power, already being persecuted, one leader killed, powerless. Pretty unequal. The world and the church. And those believers were scared. They were meeting together in the house, we're told, of Mary, John Mark's mother. John Mark, who appears in the book of Acts, if you read on to Paul's missionary journeys, he became a a bit of a contention, a point of contention, if you read on. But this house was obviously quite big, because all the believers of Jerusalem seemed to have gathered. It was the night before the trial. They were obviously giving themselves to the whole night to pray. James, the brother of John, as we've heard, has already been killed, leader one. And now Peter. Peter. Peter was key. Peter was the rock. Peter was the one chosen by Jesus to be their leader. If he went, what's going to happen to them? How would they cope? And it's no wonder they were praying. And it's no wonder it was earnest prayer. And then, of course, comes the send-up where they were concerned. And Rhoda goes, interesting that a little slave girl, a little servant girl, her name has gone on through all these ages. She goes to the door. And apparently the custom was that when you knocked, you also called. Maybe that's why we get the word, we have callers. (laughs) Anyway, Peter was calling out as well as knocking. And Rhoda, our prayers have been answered. He's there. That's wonderful. God has answered. And she goes running back to tell everyone, he's there. He's there. The answer to our prayer is standing at the door knocking. And they say, you must be out of your mind. What a blow for her. What, what a come down. What an insult. A little bit like Mary at the resurrection. And Rhoda said, but it is, it is. Like, I promise you it really is. Well, you actually sort of wonder, well, why didn't she go back and open the door? But anyway, she must have been just so amazed. How could they not believe they'd been praying all night? And there was the answer standing there. Why weren't they believing it? And uh, so eventually, oh well, perhaps it's his angel. I mean, God can't have released him from prison, so perhaps it's somehow an angel. And then they go to the door themselves, and they are astonished. Their prayer has actually been answered. There he is. And obviously there was a big commotion, and Peter silences them. And then he speaks with them. And as I was thinking about this passage, I thought those believers really were earnestly praying. And their whole well-being was at stake. The whole future of the church was at stake. They were very vulnerable. And I know that there are times when my well-being is at stake and I pray very earnestly. And we're told that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed very earnestly. 
most truly his well-being was at stake. But were these believers praying in faith? The evidence seems to be they didn't really believe God could do it. Now, in a way, that's encouraging because we can identify with them and we are often surprised. Good heavens, God answered my prayer. But I think God wants to increase our faith. And when we think of Jesus' ministry and the people he met and the people he spoke with, Almost always, if not always, he prays very simply, usually shortly, as far as we know, very much to the point, with faith. And that, to me, was the challenge. How much is my praying in Faith, expecting that God will actually make a difference. Now, at the wedding on Friday, I had uh, chats with various people, but two two of the chats come into this. It's, It's thrilling what Kevin has told us about the gift day today. I don't know if whether you try to imagine how much we might raise. I certainly didn't, but... £118,000 is a lot of money. If there are 118 people and they gave a 1,000 each, that would be amazing. Well, I'm quite sure that didn't happen um, because most people can't give a 1,000. So when you begin to work it out, it is amazing how much has been given, which suggests that God has, we're on track and he has plans for us. And that can raise our faith. One of the things that Jeff Watley was saying on Friday was that at his church in Egham, they're doing a very um, ambitious building work. And they've had to, they are needing to raise an enormous amount of money. And they'd raised a certain amount, and Jeff wanted them to get to stage one, or phase one. And to get to phase one, they needed another 500,000. So a few weeks ago, he said, I know this is a big ask, but in two weeks' time, I want there to be a gift day and we need 500,000. I know that you've already given a lot. I know it's not going to be everything, but we could then get started. He said, let's have next week as a week of prayer and fasting, and then the Sunday would be the gift day. So they did, and Jeff said the amount that was given was 500,000 plus 100 pounds and 72p, or something like that. Just phenomenal. And doesn't that raise the faith of the congregation? But we need the faith to be raised in our individual lives too. And I remember years ago being told, don't pray as you can't, pray as you can. So supposing there's someone unwell that you love and you care about and you really want them better, If you can't pray for healing, then perhaps you could pray that they'll have God's peace or that they'll have enough visitors or that the doctors will be wise in their diagnosis. Pray as you can. And maybe you'll see your faith growing. And 
The other person I spoke to, or of other people I spoke to, but the significance was Andrew Evans, whom some of you will remember as well. Well, Andrew was saying that he's recently been to Colombia, and uh, he went to a, a place called Medellin with a friend called Tim, who goes out there quite often. And he said the spiritual hunger in that place is phenomenal. And he said when either he or Tim were preaching, people were so affected. God was doing miracles. People's lives were being changed. It it was just fantastic. And Andrew came back, and his level of faith had grown, and he had a greater expectancy for his own parish, which is outside Bath. And he said, We've been seeing things happening amongst us. And it's been wonderful. He said, I think maybe I'm needing another top-up. I perhaps need to go to Columbia again to have another top-up. But he said, it has been fantastic. Faith growing. So I, the challenge to me from this passage is if I was to have a spiritual thermometer measuring faith, where would my temperature be? And perhaps we could ask God to raise our faith temperature as individuals and as a church so that we can go on seeing what great things he wants to do for us and through us and around us.